Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. May your grace, O Lord, we pray, at all times go before us and follow after, and make us always determined to carry out good works. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, for ever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Book of Wisdom. I prayed, and understanding was given me. I entreated, and the Spirit of Wisdom came to me. I esteemed her more than scepters and thrones. Compared with her... I held riches as nothing. I reckoned no priceless stone to be her peer, for compared with her, all gold is a pinch of sand, and beside her silver ranks as mud. I loved her more than health or beauty, preferred her to the light, since her radiance never sleeps. In her company, all good things came to me. At her hands, riches not to be numbered. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. Make us know the shortness of our life, that we may gain wisdom of heart. Lord, relent. Is your anger forever? Show pity to your servants. Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. In the morning, fill us with your love. We shall exult and rejoice all our days. Give us joy to balance our affliction, for the years we knew misfortune. Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. Show forth your work to your servants. Let your glory shine on their children. Let the favour of the Lord be upon us. Give success to the work of our hands. Fill us with your love, O Lord, and we will sing for joy. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. The word of God is something alive and active. It cuts like any double-edged sword, But more finely, it can slip through the place where the soul is divided from the spirit, or joints from the marrow. It can judge the secret emotions and thoughts. No created thing can hide from him. Everything is uncovered and open to the eyes of the one to whom we must give account of ourselves. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Happy the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus was setting out on a journey when a man ran up, knelt before him, and put this question to him. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. 
You know the commandments. You must not kill. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not bring false witness. You must not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Master, I have kept all these from my earliest days. Jesus looked steadily at him and loved him. And he said, There is one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But his face fell at these words, and he went away sad, for he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked round and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded by these words, but Jesus insisted, My children, he said to them, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were more astounded than ever. In that case, they said to one another, who can be saved? Jesus gazed at them. For men, he said, it is impossible. But not for God. Because everything is possible for God. Peter took this up. What about us, he asked him. We've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, I tell you solemnly, there is no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, father, children, or land, for my sake or for the sake of the gospel, who will not be repaid a hundred times over. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, not without persecutions. Now, in this present time, and in the world to come, Eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. After a tough gospel last week about marriage, uh, Jesus is not letting up on us. It's certainly a tough one today. But you know, it's easy to draw the conclusion that this gospel passage is all about poverty. You know, the story reaches its pinnacle right at the moment when Jesus urges the man to sell all he has and give it to the poor. Um, And so I think we can fall into the sort of lazy trap, I suppose, of thinking that, you know, that's the moral of the story. Don't accumulate wealth, give it to the poor. In fact, this passage isn't asking us to be poor, but to be rich, but truly rich. It's important to remember the question posed by the rich man. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So the rich man, in the midst of his wealth and honour and comfort which it buys, is unsatisfied. He he recognised that there's something more. There's something that he's yearning for more deeply. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There's an inheritance that he doesn't yet possess. Now, this is a familiar pattern of dissatisfaction. It would seem that the poorer one is, the greater the desire one will have for possessions. But often, however, it's the possession which in fact brings about dissatisfaction. Having three things can highlight the fact that we don't have a fourth. So, you know... How does our attitude change to our iPhone when we discover a new model has superseded it? (laughs) 
now that it's the old model, do we take a little less care of it? Are we a little less careful? Do we prize it a little less? The reality is, once we've, you know, sort of covered the basics and necessities of life, our thoughts pretty quickly turn towards more. But here's the thing, the Lord isn't turning the rich man away from wealth toward poverty. He's turning the rich man toward true wealth. Jesus reminds him, you you will have treasure in heaven. Now, the wealth of the rich man is clearly not enough because he's come seeking more, right? And the more which Christ promises is not the continuation of the dissatisfaction of the earthly wealth, but the accumulation of that which is truly satisfying, the fullness of life, eternal life. I don't know, perhaps we're too quick to think that Christ has come to make us poor. Perhaps we're too quick to think that, you know, we've given up all sorts of things in order to follow Christ. Um, And this would seem to be the knee-jerk response of Peter, who's quick to remind Christ of everything that he's given up. What about us? We've left everything and followed you. And Jesus might be right to respond to Peter, but what do you think you've really lost here? There's no one who has left house, brothers, sisters, father, children, or land for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not be repaid a hundred times over, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, not without persecutions, now in this present time and in the world to come, eternal life. I suspect it's easy for us to fall into the same pattern as Peter, focusing on what we need to give up, and in a sense turning ourselves into victims, as if Christ had somehow robbed us or made us poorer. But the Lord has taken nothing from us and instead promised us an abundance over and above what we imagine to have given up. Christ has come to bestow an inheritance upon the sons and daughters of the Father. It's easy to become the kind of Christians who turn themselves into false victims. How much we have to sacrifice, how much we have to give up and hand over, And this focus can bring about a sorrow like the rich man who walks away from Jesus, not recognising the true treasure he's come to bestow. If we fall into this pattern, our Lord Lord Jesus might rightly ask us, but what do you think's happened here? In receiving 100-fold, what do you think you've really lost? This is about ceasing to live for paltry things, unsatisfactory things and living for that which is truly greatest and satisfying. You know, I know I quote this all the time, um, but I think it's rapidly becoming my favourite text. Uh, But it comes from Pope Benedict XVI's homily when he was installed as Pope at the beginning of his pontificate. I'll quote it again. Today, with great strength and great conviction, on the basis of long personal experience of life, I say this to you, dear young people. Do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away, and he gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open. Open wide the doors to Christ, and you will find true life. I love that bit. I really do. (laughs) 
But I suppose we can't forget that there is actually a giving up that's going on. The rich man is asked to give away his riches. And Peter's right, they have given up a lot. But I think the gospel invites us to take the right attitude and understanding towards sacrifice. All love demands sacrifice. The reality is we can't love if we're slavishly driven by the immediate demands of our egos or our libidos or our lower appetites. Love asks for a sacrifice. Love asks us to look beyond the narrow horizon of the moment and to choose in favour of the beloved. In other words, love means making a gift of oneself to the other. But this sacrifice, this gift of self, doesn't leave one poorer, but paradoxically opens us up to the fullness of life. The German philosopher Robert Spayman helps us to understand this reality by means of an analogy. He compares our lives to that of a business. Now, the goal of a business is to earn a profit, and a good business is a profitable business. Now, in order to earn a profit, a company must incur expenses. But expenses aren't a loss when they go to earning a profit. Because, by definition, a profit is where revenues exceed expenses. In other words, there's no expense that's not worth incurring in order to earn a profit. Now, it all sounds a little boring until the other side of the, anal- the analogy is filled in. Spayman points out that a good life, a profitable life, is a happy life. In the course of our lives, we need to make sacrifices in order to be happy. And just as a company incurs expenses in order to earn a profit, so too do we make sacrifices in order to be happy. We see this time and again in our lives. I can sacrifice binge-watching Netflix in order to go and study because my degree will contribute to my career, which contributes to my happiness. The sacrifice, like the expense for a business, is in favour of the profit, the happiness, which it brings about. So how silly would it be if a company director said, I'm not willing to lay out 100 bucks in order to earn 200 You know, such a company director is clearly bad at business and doesn't understand the game. Similarly for us, how silly it would sound if a human being said, I'm not prepared to make that sacrifice in order to be happy. Such a person would be frustrating the very purpose of his own life. And surely we would have to conclude that such a person is actually pretty bad at life. So we draw the conclusion that just as there is no expense not worth incurring in order to make a profit, so too there is no sacrifice not worth making in order to be happy. And I think this is the logic that lies behind Christ's teaching of the parable of the talents. We can't simply bury what we have in self-satisfaction or in fear. We need to put it to work so that the five talents become five more. To give up our riches and give them to the poor so that we can inherit eternal life. You know, we can look to the rich man and think, you know, he's done a bad deal. He wasn't willing to trade in the comparable pittance 
for the inestimable treasures of heaven. It was the expense that he wasn't willing to incur, the sacrifice he wasn't willing to make. The Lord was asking him to empty his hands so that he might be free to receive a greater abundance. But he walks away, sorrowful and resigned to the little that he possesses. Jesus isn't trying to take the man's money away from him, but instead is trying to free him from that which is preventing him from making a total gift of himself. I reckon if Pope Benedict XVI had a crack at this rich young man, he would have said this, My dear young man, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away. And he gives you everything. Thanks for praying with us. And may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.